John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am who I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth. All these statements are Jesus' own words about himself. It's him revealing himself to the world. For the world doesn't reveal Jesus. Jesus reveals Jesus. He reveals himself to be both God and man. He reveals himself to be the Son of God. He reveals himself to be the Christ. He reveals himself to be the only sacrifice for our sins. He reveals himself to be the only giver of eternal life. For Jesus alone is the great I am. And this morning we're going to look at his last I am statement that he makes in the Gospel of John. And it's in John 15, beginning in verse 1. Here's God's word. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth, that your word, Father, is powerful, and that your spirit, that the spirit of God, it takes your word and apply it to our hearts. This same word that is being preached in many churches today, Lord, is powerful and effective, stronger than any double-edged sword, Father, is your truth. It's not the man that preaches it, Father, but it's the Spirit, Lord, who uses the man that makes the word powerful. And so move my pride, move my ego, move my need for approval. Crush it, Lord. Crush it daily. Crush it now so that Christ 
may be lifted up so that Christ may be seen, so that Christ may be glorified, so that Christ may be worshipped. So, Spirit of God, you are my helper, you are our helper, and we need your help this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I am divine, says Christ. And his main point in this chapter is to reveal himself as the sustainer of the life he freely gives. That's the whole point of this passage, this whole chapter, is that Jesus is divine who continues to sustain his people after they come to faith in him. He refers to himself as divine twice. In verse 1, I am the true vine, and in verse 5, he simply says, I am divine. This I am statement is just like all the other I am statements. It's, it's an emphatic statement. He's the only vine. He's not just one of many, but he's the only one. And like I said, it's a members only club of one with these statements. That Jesus is the only one who can be these things. The last time in, in, in verse 1 he says, I am the true vine. And the last time he used the term true with an I am statement was back in chapter 6, which was several sermons ago. And, and there he said that he was a true bread from heaven. And what, he was, and what he was doing there, he was making a reference to something in the Old Testament. His words was a reference to, to the manna that the Yahweh provided the people of Israel during that time in the wilderness. And, and so Jesus, is let, he, let, he was letting them know in chapter 6 that that the manna that God gave in the Old Testament, that was not the true bread from heaven. I am actually the true bread from heaven. And in John 15, he's doing the same thing. He is making a reference to something in the Old Testament. He's revealing himself as the fulfillment or the replacement of something. In the Old Testament, the vine was a symbol used by the people of Israel. John Towson saying it was a it was a well known symbol for God's people, the vine. In Jewish historian Josephus, he says that on the temple was a golden vine with grapes hanging from it. And Psalm eighty verses eight through nine says, "You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. You took it took deep root and filled the land." So Israel was God's vine. But in Isaiah 5, God says, He looked for his vineyard to yield grapes, but it yield wild grapes. The vineyard of the Lord of, of the host was the house of Israel. But we all know that Israel was not a good vine. It was a useless vine because of her constant rebellion. But Jesus, but Jesus is now revealing himself to be the vine of Yahweh, not Israel. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the vineyard. I am the true vine that Yahweh has planted. And I will not yield wild grapes, but I will yield actual grapes. That is what he's doing. He's revealing himself as the one who sustains. This particular I am statement I see this as, as the second of two bookends of all his I am statements. The, the first bookend is the, I am the bread of life because the bread of life, Jesus, he reveals himself as the giver of life. 
That's the one bookend. And the second bookend is, I am divine, he's saying, I'm also the sustainer of the life I give. I give you life, and I sustain the life that you have, the bookends. That's what he's doing here. He tells the disciples in verse 3, you already, you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. And what he's saying here is that those who have seven faith in Jesus are made clean by his blood. He washes them like he washes the disciples' feet in John 13. He wants the disciples to know that you are already saved. I have already given you life. But their dealings with him does not end with him making them clean. Their dealings with Christ does not end with him giving them eternal life. They don't, just, they don't tell Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for washing us, but now we no longer need you. I no longer have any use of you. You made me clean. You've given me life. You saved me. But now I got it. Thank you. I got it from here. Think about this. As, as your kids, grandkids, or, or any child grows up, they, they usually become more and more independent of the parent. Usually. They enter their life completely dependent on the parents, but as they get older, they usually become more and more independent. From dependence to independence. But for the Christian, the reverse is true. The reverse is true. You move from independence to dependence. You see, the disciples are not supposed to become more independent of Jesus now that, now that he made them clean. No, they're supposed to become, grow in becoming more dependent on Jesus because he made them clean. The same is true for you. If you are a disciple of Christ, he is moving you from independence to dependence in every area of your life. But is that true? He tells them in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. We are to continue to abide in the vine that sustains us. We are. The Greek term for abide can mean to remain, to stay, to abide and to continue without fading, to persist, to stick with. It can also mean to act in accordance with. Remember, Jesus already told the disciples they're already clean. So now he's saying, begin to act in accordance with your cleaning. If you're clean, now act in accordance with it. To abide in Jesus is you acting in accordance with who you already are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? If you have seven faith in him, you are a saint of God. You are a child of Yahweh. This is who you are. Now act in accordance with that. Now act in accordance with that. In verses 4 and 6, Jesus, he gives us a word picture or a metaphor of what it means to abide in him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. As the branch cannot bear fruit apart by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. A branch of a grapevine cannot produce fruit apart from the vine. It has to stay connected to the life source. It can't detach from the life source. The life source sustains it. If it breaks away, it won't bear fruit. The same is true for each of us as believers. We are branches. I'm a branch. I'm not a vine. I can't produce anything in your life. 
That's all we're ever going to be. The pastor is not divine. The elders and deacons are not divine. The church is not divine. You're not divine. Jesus is. And we are totally, totally dependent upon him alone in this Christian life. He's not talking about entering the faith. He's talking about what sustains you while you end the faith. What sustains you for the rest of your life as a believer? What keeps you moving toward glory? What keeps you moving toward our home? Is it either going to be you or is it Jesus? Who is it? Who keeps you? A branch doesn't keep itself. A branch can't sustain itself. It doesn't have the power to sustain itself. And neither do we. Neither do we. Jesus does. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does Jesus mean by that? He means you can't produce Christian fruit in your life apart from him. That's what he means. You can't produce anything that, that, that a Christian character or a Christian love, any of those things that, 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 that we have, those traits that we have in us, that because we're Christians don't come because of us, it becomes because of Jesus. Because we are abiding in Jesus. The fruit here represents the good changes and the transformation that takes place in our life. Apart from him, you don't grow. That's what he's saying. Apart from him, you don't change. Apart from him, your heart is not transformed. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus lets his disciples know and us know that we still need him even after we come to faith. Even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, you still need Jesus as much as you did the first day you believed. The first day you believed. The first time you believe. He's not just a giver of life. He's a sustainer of life. He is divine. We can't detach from him. You'll never get to a place in your life where you can say, I need less of Jesus. I don't care how much you grow spiritually. I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care how much you give or how much you serve or how much money you give. You're never going to need less of him. Period. You need more of him still. It's from independence to dependence. When you look at your life, when you look, in fact, when you look at your week, where do you live when it comes to Jesus? Dependency or independent? Look at your life. How do you function Monday through Friday? Dependent on Jesus or independence of Jesus? How does it look? How does it look? In the places where you truly live, where are you? I believe the, the vision of our church is a good example of, of, what, it, of what, it, what Jesus is communicating in, in these verses. Our vision is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to glorify Jesus. There, there's an order or a process to what Jesus is dealing with here. You see, you won't glorify him if you don't know him. And you won't enjoy him if you don't know him. Jesus used the same order here. You can't abide in Jesus if he has not made you clean. We have to be clean first. And cleaning him means he has to wash you in his blood. He has to cleanse you from the nastiness of your sin. 
Because every person, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they live, regardless of their culture, regardless of their race, regardless of, of their na- nation or nationality they are, we all have a sin stain in our hearts and souls that we can't wash away. You can soak it in whatever detergent you want to soak it in. It ain't going to get the sin stain out. Nothing but the blood of Jesus does that. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And to get clean, you must come to him in faith and repentance. Repenting of your sin and trusting and resting in him alone for your salvation. That's what it means to know Jesus. Coming to faith in him. And after you have been made clean, after you come to faith in him, you can abide in him. And to abide in him means to enjoy him and to glorify him. To enjoy him is expressed in verse 9. He says, as my father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. To abide in Jesus' love is you enjoying a loving fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Do you have that? Do you have that? Is he real to you? Or is he just someone you read about in the Bible? What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Or do you have one? I'm not talking about posting Bible verses on Twitter and Facebook. That, that, that doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not talking about you doing good works for Jesus. I'm talking about you communing with Jesus where he ministers to your heart, not your behavior. Communing with him. When was the last time you actually communed with Jesus and it didn't feel like homework and a duty or a checklist because i got to get done with this Bible study? When was the last time you opened up God's word and you was like, man, I'm going to fellowship with my dad because I need it, because I miss him? As a believer, you are a child of God before you anything else for him. Do you know that? You are a child before you anything else for God. If, you don't, if that's not in your equation, if that's not part of your life, then you got it backwards. Your daughtership and your sonship, is, it leads to everything else you do for God. You are a child before you anything else for him. Do you live that way? Or do you live like a servant? Do you live like an orphan? How do you live for him? Do you know him like that? Do you believe it? I think many of us work for God, but many of us don't live a life that truly enjoys him. We just work for him like he's our boss. Like we're clocking in, clocking out at work. He's your father. He's not your nine-to-five boss. To abide in Jesus' love is to enjoy a loving, mutual relationship with him. John Murray, I read this quote to you several sermons ago. He, he fully explains what a loving relationship with Jesus is like. He says, this is John Murray. He says, the life of faith is one of living union and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. It is directed toward him not merely as the one who died, but as the one who rose again and whoever lives as our great high priest and advocate. And because faith is directed toward a living Savior, fellowship reaches the highest of its exercise. Think about that. Think about what he's saying there. 
Because faith is directed toward a living Lord and Savior. Fellowship with that Savior reaches the highest of its exercise. Now, you're doing things for Jesus. Your fellowship with Jesus reaches its highest of its exercise. There's no communion among men that is comparable to the fellowship with Christ. He communes with his people, and his people commune with him in a conscious, reciprocal love. That's relationship. That's delight. That's communion. That is abiding in Jesus' love. That is a relationship. That's what it means to enjoy him. Are you enjoying him? Like you enjoy your spouse. Like you enjoy your kids. Or like you enjoy your best friend. That's what I mean about a relationship with Christ. It has to be like that. There has to be intimacy there between you and him. It can't just be someone you read about theology books. It has to be a relationship that works on your heart. Is he working on your heart? Because if he's working there, everything else is going to work itself out. Because it's an overflow from your heart that leads to the change in your behavior. You abide in him also by glorifying him. And he to glorify him is expressed in verses 7 and 10. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. To keep Jesus' commandments and his word abiding in you, that is you surrendering to his lordship over your life. That's what he's talking about there. Surrendering to his lordship. Because if you love him, then you surrender to him. If you love him. This means your life, my life, is no longer just my life. It's no longer just my family. It's no longer just my stuff. It's no longer just my job and career. It's, no longer, it's not my church. It's not my money. It's not my house. It's not my time. It all belongs to him. It must all be surrendered to his lordship. To glorify Christ means living a lifestyle that reflects his values, his standards, his priorities. Not the world in which we live. Not the culture in which we are part of. It's a kingdom culture. What values do you reflect in your life? What values do your family reflect? What standards? What priorities? Whose agenda? Who shapes your view of family? Who shapes your view of culture? Who shapes your view of politics? Who shapes your view of education? The world? Or this? What shapes it? What dictates whatever all that you do? And so the Lordship of Christ is just as, as important as Him being the Savior. Just as important. Because he wants you to surrender your everything you have under his lordship. Under it. Get your direction from him. Because he is king as well. We are to walk in his ways. Be imitators of him. It's, it's you saying every morning, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done in my life. Can you say that and mean it from here? 
can you say that? If you don't know him, if you don't enjoy him, you won't ever say that. If, if all he is is a boss, you won't ever say that. If all he is a dictator, you won't ever say that. If all he is that God is looking over your shoulder, you won't say that. You won't ever say that. You won't surrender because you don't trust him. You don't believe he has your good in mind. Jesus is the true vine who sustains you still. For every branch must abide in him through enjoying him and glorifying him. Last week, we, we celebrated the, the death and resurrection of Christ. But I think sometimes we often overlook something that happened 40 days later. That is, his ascent into heaven. That's just as important as everything else he did. Just as important. Because if he didn't ascend, guess what didn't happen? Who didn't come? The Spirit. We don't have, we don't have too many sermons on him ascending into heaven. But we need him. Because it's just as important. He tells, he tells the disciples in John 16, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? To leave us? It's to our advantage that you should leave? He goes on to say, if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Please know that John 15 is in the middle of John 14 and John 16. You know why that is? Because both of those two chapters, he talks about the Holy Spirit. That's important. Because the disciples should know what he's saying. You can't abide in me apart from this guy, this person, who I'm going to send you. So Jesus is not saying go out and do it yourself. Go out and abide in me by yourself. I'm sending you somebody that's going to make that possible. And we know in Pentecost he came. And so the same applies to you. That what you need to abide in Jesus already lives in you if you are a believer. Do you pray to him? Do you call out to him? Do you ask the Holy Spirit for help? When was the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit? Really? When was the last time you, you said, Spirit, help me here. Help me to do this. Help me do that. That's your power as a believer. Supernatural power. You realize no one else can claim that truth. No one else in all the world can say the Spirit of God lives in me except for believers. Christianity is supernatural. And we sometimes take the supernatural out because we think we got it all together. Because we're smart. I got the resources. I got the talent. I got the gifts. Remember, independence to dependence is what the Spirit is doing in us. Ask Him for help when you need help. Humble yourself before the Lord or He will humble you. Humble yourself before Him. Jesus tells disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And he's still doing that today. Still. The Holy Spirit enables you to abide in Jesus by enjoying Jesus and glorifying Jesus. The Spirit does that. That's his role to, of being here for us.
So pray to him. Ask him for help. Even right now, ask him to use this table to strengthen you spiritually. Because guess what? These elements are not going to do anything if the Spirit of God don't move in your heart. I hope you know that. That You have to ask the Holy Spirit to, to use this table to give you more confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Ask him now. Even as I'm preaching, ask him, Spirit, help me to see the value in this table. Ask him to, to use this table to, to help you remember what Christ did for you on the cross. Ask him. Ask him to, to help you remember that Christ is the true vine, that apart from him you can do nothing. Ask him. Are you asking him? Or do you think you got it? Do you come to the table with the attitude that I got this? Do you come to the table with the attitude that all I need is a little bit of Jesus? If all you need is a little bit of Jesus, this is how much you love him, a little bit. You need Jesus this much. You need him this much. And this table is your reminder that you need him this much and he always welcomes you to this table. For he is divine. He is divine that continues to sustain your life for the rest of your life. And so this table is for you. It's for you today. Now, if you're not a believer and if you don't know Christ, we consider it an honor that you're here. And if you have questions of what it means to have faith in Christ, please see me after the service, and I will gladly sit down and share with you the good news of the gospel of how you can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, kids, if I encourage um, kids who are here who don't know Christ, if you have kids here who don't know Jesus, will you ask them to abstain for the elements until they have been admitted to the table by the church that you attend? Now, also, kids, this is my favorite part, part is to remind you to, to observe what we do because it is our hope, the parents' hope, the officers' hope, that one day, that one day you will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and you begin to partake of this meal with us. Until then, this is an example. This is a, a reminder of what Christ did for you on the cross, that he paid the price for your sins so that you can be in relationship with God. He's the only way in. And this table is a reminder of that. Before we pass out the elements, I ask you to go now and spend a couple moments in preparation. And I'd like the officers to come forward. It's on their sixth today. <laughs>